Hello, welcome to the Seeking Pearls podcast. It is wonderful to be back with you again. It has been several weeks since I have been here recording a podcast. I really wanted to get down here all during December and do some Christmas Advent themed podcasting and it just time just got away from me and it never happened (laughs) and I will tell you I do think I find Christmas rather stressful the whole season is very stressful to me and there are obviously wonderful things about the season that are special and beautiful but overall I find it kind of a frantic stressful time of year and I never made it down to my podcast even though I had things to share that I wanted to share and I hope to share, but another time will come for those. For now, we are going to jump ahead into the new year and record a podcast on the book of Colossians. I absolutely love Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. It is one of my favorite texts in the entire Bible, and I am very excited to go through it on a podcast with you. I was so encouraged the other day because... Like I said, it's been a long time since I've gotten down to my podcast, and I will say my dogs are wrestling in the background right now, so if that's distracting, I'm sorry. My house is just never quiet, (laughs) and so I have to take what I can get, So, and I'm home alone right now, so I'm like, okay, I guess the dogs are going to have to be here, but um, anyway, I was chatting with a friend at a swim meet yesterday who asked me when my podcast was coming back, and it was so sweet because... You know, I'm just kind of talking to the air, and it's just really sweet to find out that there's somebody who listens and who is waiting for another episode to be released. And so uh, that was very exciting, and I realized that this evening I would be home alone while my kids will go to swim practice, except for these crazy dogs who are wrestling behind me. And (laughs) I was like, okay, tonight is the time to start the podcast on Colossians. So Paul's letter to... The Church in Colossae is four chapters long. For the podcast, I will be splitting each chapter in half, so taking eight weeks to do a podcast on this letter. Paul the Apostle was writing to his friends. Uh, Actually, he had never met them. We'll get to that. But his friends in Christ, nonetheless, he was writing to them. And because it's a letter, I want us to remember that we should read it like a letter. So when I come to the podcast, for the text that we are looking at for that night, which will always be approximately half of a chapter, I'm going to read that text in full the way that you would read a letter. And then we will go back to the beginning of that and really take it verse by verse and phrase by phrase and break it down. As we read this letter, I want us to remember that, yes, it was penned 2,000 years ago, for a specific group of Christians in a church in Colossae, but it is the living word of God, and it is also written to all of us, to every believer in Christ. It is a letter that points very much to the sovereignty and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it not only helps us to understand who he is, but it also helps us to understand how his truth supersedes all other truths, and how that also shapes our daily living. So as we begin, tonight we are going to look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. I'm going to read the whole text, and then we're going to go back to the beginning and go through it bit by bit. All right, Colossians chapter 1, I'll be reading throughout this Bible study from the NIV translation. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, 
by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all of God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who was a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you might live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you might have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That is Colossians chapter 1 verses 1 through 14. All right, as we begin, we see right away that Paul is telling the people of Colossae that he is writing a letter with Timothy. Timothy is a young man that joined Paul on his second missionary journey. So in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul, first of all, comes to Christ, uh, discovers who Christ is when Christ reveals himself to the Apostle Paul on the the way to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. The Apostle Paul was going by his Hebrew name Saul at that time, and he was on the way to Damascus to arrest Christians, followers of Jesus. He was going to bring them to Jerusalem to put them in prison. On his way to Damascus, the Lord Jesus met Saul on the road, introduced himself to Saul, and through the help of another man in Damascus named Ananias, the apostle Paul then, or Saul, was baptized into the Lord Jesus. He realized, he discovered, he understood and believed on the Lord Jesus, and Ananias baptized him in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and from that point on, Paul lived his life in ministry of the gospel. Several years later, like 14 approximately years later, the Apostle Paul started going, he was going by his Roman name then, Paul, the Apostle Paul, still the same guy as Saul, but utterly changed into a new creation, as he would say, and was using his Roman name because his ministry was to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, throughout the Roman Empire. So went by his Roman name of Paul, and he went on missionary journeys 
in various regions throughout the Roman Empire. We have three specific missionary journeys in the book of Acts. The second one in Acts chapter 16 is where he met Timothy. And Timothy was a young man that Paul brought underneath his wing and trained him up in ministry. And Timothy joined Paul then on his journeys, on his second and third journey. Parts of those journeys also, Paul would leave Timothy in one place and then Paul would go on to another place and then they would reunite uh, later on so that they could split the work of the ministry. But Timothy is with Paul right now as Paul's writing his letter. And so he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So Timothy is writing this with Paul. Before we go any further, I want to make note of where they are. And first of all, I should clarify, I shouldn't have necessarily said that Timothy is writing it with Paul. The letter is from Paul. Timothy is more than likely his scribe. Paul spoke his letters aloud and had people write them down for him. Timothy is more than likely the one writing it down, but by and large, it's accepted that Paul is the one who is writing the letter. All right, so where are they at? That is an important question for us to consider. Timothy is with Paul right now, actually in prison in Rome. We know that Paul is writing Colossians from his rented house in Rome where he is under house arrest for two years awaiting a trial before Caesar. So we're going to look at what that might have looked like from the book of Acts. We're going to jump back into Acts chapter 28 and we're going to see what it looked like when Paul was in his house prison under house arrest. So in Acts chapter 28, uh, it's a long history that got Paul where he's at, his missionary journeys, uh, led to eventually an arrest in Jerusalem. He was in prison for a while in Jerusalem, and then he was set to sent to Caesarea, and he was in prison for two years in Caesarea. He appealed to Caesar and then was sent on to Rome. If you've heard of Paul's shipwreck, he's had, he had more than one shipwreck, we find out in his letters, but Acts chapter uh, 27 explains a great deal about his shipwreck on the way to Rome. And then he gets to Rome and he lives in a house prison where he rents his own home and he is chained to guards. It, it sounds like he's chained to guards the whole time that he's there. But people are allowed to come to Paul. So he has to stay in the home all the time for two years. But people are allowed to come to him. And so I'm going to read verse 16 of Acts 28. It says, When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. So that's verse 16. And then at the very end of the chapter, chapter 28, verses 30 and 31, this is how the book of Acts ends. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house, and he welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So for two years, people are coming and going from Paul's house, and as they come and go, Paul is preaching the gospel the entire time that he's in house arrest in the city of Rome. His dream, we know throughout other letters, and especially when he writes to the Romans in his letter to the Romans, uh, which he wrote several years before he actually got to Rome, and he 
very much desired to get to Rome. Like it was one of his main goals in ministry is to get to Rome and then move on to Spain. And I don't think he ever would have thought that when he finally got to Rome, it was going to be as a prisoner. And yet the Lord used it just in a mighty way. We actually find out in the book of Philippians that many guards from Caesar's palace came to know Jesus through the ministry of Paul because they were with him as he was in prison. And the whole time he was there, he was preaching the gospel. And so people who even worked in Caesar's household were coming to know the truth of Jesus through Paul's ministry while he was on on house arrest. So that is where Paul and Timothy are while they are writing this letter to the Colossians. Now, Timothy, we don't know that he, we don't know that he's necessarily there as a prisoner, but he is there as Paul's ministry companion, and we don't know if he stayed there the whole time or if he went out and did ministry and then would come back and check on Paul and take care of Paul. We also know that Luke, who wrote down he wrote down the book of acts he also joins the party in the book of acts at about acts 16 uh, and we can see that in the language that he uses that he joins the ministry party at that time and he is writing as we instead of they around acts 16 and uh and so he also he's a physician luke is and he likely stayed with paul almost all the time or maybe all the time because Paul had such a high need for physical needs from a physician and so Luke was with him and we know that Luke is with him in prison he's going to tell us that at, uh, at the end of some of his letters and so other people too as we read these letters we get an, a sense of who is coming and going from visiting Paul and staying with Paul for times while he's in prison but we will see more of that as we go along so we know that Colossians and Ephesians were written from the same prison in Rome, as well as we know that Philemon was. I totally believe Philippians was written from the same imprisonment in Rome, although probably later in the imprisonment, because in Philippians you get a sense that he's really expecting his the decision to be made about whether he is acquitted or sentenced to death at this time. He is actually in the end of his two years, he will be acquitted from this imprisonment. We know that now. He clearly didn't know that, though, when he was writing his letters. And so, but now we know that he was acquitted at the end of these two years. Uh, Philippians was almost certainly written from Rome as well, although some people argue that Philippians was written from his two years in Caesarea. And I did read one really good book that made me think that maybe that was true. But no one knows for sure, except God and Paul and Jesus and probably everyone else in heaven who Paul told. (laughs) But anyway, let's carry on. So... I'll start with verse 1 again. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. So he gives this beautiful greeting. He calls them his brothers and sisters in Christ, and he has never met them. We're going to find out in just a little bit that he is not the one who planted this church. So while Paul was in his third missionary journey around like 53 AD, about seven years before he got to the Roman house prison, Paul spent two years, at least two years, maybe a little more than two years, in Ephesus on his third missionary journey. And Ephesus was quite near Colossae. And 
we're going to find out that somebody from Colossae came to Christ while Paul was in Ephesus and then took the gospel back to their hometown of Colossae. Verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all of God's people. I really love that verse 4. Paul is saying that the thing that we most thank God for because of you is that we have heard of two things about you. So as Paul has heard about this church growing in this small city of Colossae, there's two primary things that have been rumored and carried through the grapevine about this gathering of believers in Colossae. And the two things that have been heard about them is their faith in Christ Jesus and the love that they have for people. Isn't that awesome? Like when I think about what do I want my church to be known for? I want my church to be known for our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the love we have for people. What a beautiful, beautiful thing to be known by. In verse 5, Paul goes on and he explains where this faith and where this love came from. He said, The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. So they have learned about the hope stored up for them in heaven through the Lord Jesus Christ, through what Jesus did on the cross, through the redemption and the eternal life given to us in Christ. They have heard about the hope stored up for them in heaven. And from that hope that has filled their lives, transformed their lives, from that hope has sprung forth love for people and faith, a deep faith and a deep love for people. It comes from the hope that we have in heaven. He says, you've heard about this heaven in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. So the true message of the gospel has brought hope to you and hope is springing forth in love and faith. It's bearing fruit. And then he says in verse 6, in the same way, the gospel, the good news about the Lord Jesus Christ is bearing fruit and it's growing throughout the whole world. This is what the gospel does, my friends. The gospel is supposed to bear fruit. The gospel, if presented in truth, will always bear fruit. So as we look at our own lives and as we look at our churches, as we look at any Christian fellowship around us, we can ask ourselves, is this bearing fruit? And if it is not bearing fruit, then my dear friends, it is not centered on the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If it is centered on the gospel, then fruit is absolutely coming from it. Does this mean that you can immediately see the fruit? No. Trees bear fruit in season, right? So there's definitely going to be seasons where we don't see a lot of fruit. So we can't be in a hurry about this. Uh, it's not like, you know, we are so used to like instant gratification in our culture and getting results immediately. And that is just not how anything real or true happens, especially things that happen in the heart, in the human heart and in the human soul. Things aren't going to be instantaneous. And yet bearing fruit will happen when the gospel takes root. And so we can be on the lookout for fruit and we can be anticipatory of fruit. We can be expectant of fruit. 
And then he goes on to say, and he kind of reiterates, just as it has been doing amongst you. So just as the gospel has been bearing fruit amongst you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Now, did it bear a ton of fruit to the very day they heard it? Well, certainly it it did bear fruit the first day they heard it and that people would have accepted Christ and come to Christ, acknowledge Jesus as the true Son of God on that first day they heard it. But as far as the fruit of transformed lives, that takes time. That the sanctification process is going to take time for all of us. And then he tells us where they learned it. So he said that just, it's been bearing fruit in you since the very first day you heard it. And then he thinks back to what he knows about that first day. Now remember, he wasn't there on that first day. But a friend has told him about that first day when the city of Colossae got the good news of the Lord Jesus. And he says in verse 7, You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Now, when he says, You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who's a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. It does almost sound like if Epaphras had come to Ephesus when Paul was in Ephesus, received the gospel from Ephesus, it does sound like he was almost commissioned by Paul to go back to Colossae and bring the good news to the city of Colossae because he says that Epaphras is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. So it sounds like Epaphras was commissioned by Paul. And then Epaphras, it says that Epaphras told us about your love in the Spirit. Now, it's very possible that even while Paul was still in Ephesus, it's possible that Epaphras came back to see Paul while Paul was in Ephesus to relay back to Paul how it was going with the Colossians, like how they were receiving Christ and any struggles they were having and We don't know that this is the first time that Paul has heard about the Colossians. More than likely, he has been hearing about them for a number of years. Also, we know that Epaphras has come to him while he's in prison. We don't know why. Find out later in the letter that Epaphras is there with Paul in Rome. And we don't know what caused that connection. Like, why did Epaphras travel to Rome? It's a very long journey by sea. And so... We don't know. We, we just don't know how that happened. But Epaphras is with Paul now and telling him more about the Colossians. But that doesn't mean that this is the first time Paul has heard about the church in Colossae. But it does certainly seem that Epaphras's visit to Paul's house arrest in Rome has spurred on like Paul's like, I'm going to write them a letter because you're here telling me all about them. All right. Verse 9. For this reason... Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Okay, we're going to pause right there. I have learned over several years of studying the Apostle Paul's letters that when he starts to talk about how he prays, for a person or a group of people, it's best to read it very, very slow and to really ponder, like, what is he praying for them? Because, my dear friends, it is not the way most of us pray. I have learned huge amounts 
by studying the way that the Apostle Paul prays. First of all, the way he says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. That theme is going to come up a lot in Colossians. Uh, We're going to look at, throughout the letter of Colossians, the way that Paul prays, not just not just how he prays or what he prays, but the manner in which he does it. He refers to it as like hard work and strenuous labor. He is praying strenuously as he is in house prison. The way it seems when we read scripture, Paul spent those two years in house prison either actively preaching the gospel and meeting with fellow Christians who came to him and if, the, if there was nobody in his house at the time to preach to, it seems that he was in prayer all the time. I imagine he did sleep some, but probably not very much. He worked hard for the gospel, even in prison, which is just amazing and so convicting to me. And I want to be like that. So he has not stopped praying for them. Then he goes on and he says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and the understanding that the Spirit gives. Now, as we move on in this letter, we're going to find out that the people he's writing to are experiencing persecution, just like pretty much everybody that Paul wrote to, they were experiencing persecution. And Paul never once prays that the persecution would stop. Rather, in the midst of the persecution, he is continually asking God to give the people of Colossae knowledge of his will through the wisdom and understanding of the Spirit. Because he knows that they won't be able to understand the will of God through like earthly knowledge and earthly understanding. And the way that our brains manage everything in like our worldview and according to our calendar and our timeline and we just we measure everything from our world's perspective and so he said I'm asking God to give you the knowledge of his will but you're not going to understand it from your earthly mindset so I'm asking him to give you the knowledge of his will through his wisdom and his understanding that you can only receive through the Holy Spirit So through the Holy Spirit is the only way you're going to understand the will of God. And I keep praying that you would have new revelations and layers of understanding from the Spirit so that you can understand God's will for you. And then he goes on in verse 10. And I love this because when we talk about God's will, I am 100% this is me. I'm usually thinking about big picture, God's will for my life. Like, what are his plans for my life? What are the big picture moments of my life? And yet the Apostle Paul takes this and he's talking about minute to my minute, day by day, nothing glamorous, nothing showy, nothing worth putting on social media. In verse 10, he says, this is what the Lord's will is. Verse 10, so that you might live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. So he's talking about day in, day out, like do the hard work of ministry, do the hard work of daily life, all the things that you do to fill a day and to fill a life, as unglamorous as it may be, 
that in all those things you could live a life worthy of the Lord, pleasing Him. That in your day-to-day, minute-to-minute, hour-to-hour activities, you would be bearing fruit in every good work. Let's think about, I mean, bearing fruit doesn't is not limited to the fruit of the Spirit, but let's just think about what those fruit of the Spirit are. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That in all that you do throughout every day, that those fruit of the Spirit would permeate through you, that people around you would experience Christ in the day-to-day activity of your life. I am not there. I'm not there. It's so convicting to even share this on a podcast because I have no idea who's listening to this. And it's very possible that whoever is listening has a perspective of me that is not that. And you're like, she is not bearing fruit. And I would tell you, so often you're right. So often you're right. I pray to God that my life is bearing fruit more than I know. But so often it's not. I am I am not there yet. I need I need people to pray for me what the Apostle Paul is praying for the church in Colossae, that I could live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, growing fruit in every good work. And then he goes on to say another way that he's praying for them is that they would be growing in the knowledge of God, getting to know God more. Isn't that beautiful? He wants them to know God more. And here's something amazing about this. When we think of getting to know God more, one of the primary ways that we ought to do that is through studying scripture. That is a key primary way to get to know God more. And yet, the people that Paul is writing to, they have the entire Old Testament if they're Jewish, but he's writing primarily to Gentiles who have no written down scripture. They don't have the New Testament yet. Most of it hasn't been written. And if it has been written, it hasn't yet been circulated and copied. And if they're Gentiles, they often might not have access to a synagogue that has the Old Testament scriptures. And so he's encouraging them to grow in the knowledge of God. And literally, the only way they have to do that is through prayer and through the Holy Spirit revealing God to them. So their meetings as believers where they gather together for worship are so important. I mean, they're important for you and me too. So important. But back then, they had no other way to get to know God than the Spirit's revelation to them. And then they would get together and they shared those experiences. And that's how they would know if what the Spirit was revealing, if they were interpreting things correctly. Because they would share their experiences. They would talk about what the Spirit revealed to them and what the Spirit revealed to him or to her. And they would share what they know and they would pray. And they would get every single copy of the text, Old Testament or anything, any copies of the New Testament that they could possibly get, any copies of Paul's letters, um, as texts of the New Testament gospel accounts were written down, getting copies of those as soon as they could, and studying them, and working to memorize so they could just get whatever they could inside of them. That's how they grew in the knowledge of God, and through prayer, just time in prayer with the living God. 
So Paul is praying that they would grow in the knowledge of God and be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you might have great endurance and patience. I think that is phenomenal because like I said, we're going to learn that these people were going through persecution. There were many other ideas infiltrating the gospel, many ideas uh, being mixed into the truth of the gospel. The city of Colossae was on a major trade route from Ephesus to the Euphrates River. And so because it's on a major trade route, had a very mixed population. And a mixed population would result in very mixed philosophies and beliefs, mixed deities in the Roman Empire. There are so many different Greek gods that were being, Greek and Roman gods that were being worshipped. And so all these different philosophies and deities and religious beliefs were being mixed into the gospel and there was a lot of persecution and pressure and twisting of what is true and what is not true. And so what's amazing is that Paul does not pray for persecution to end, but what he prays for is that they would have great endurance and patience to ride it out. It's so easy and so tempting to pray that our struggles would end. And that is just not something we see in the scriptures very often. We don't see very much prayer for struggles in the scriptures to end. What we do see over and over and over again is prayer to have endurance through the struggles. And I'll just let that sit there. I don't have much to say about that other than that it shocks me, it humbles me, it encourages me, and I pray that it encourages you as well. In verse 12, he says, and, so this is another thing that he prays for them, that they would give joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. That is a beautiful thing for the people he's writing to. He's writing to primarily Gentiles. They are not Jewish. They were not the children of Abraham. They were not Abraham's descendants and so may have felt like, do we count? Are we in? Like in the family of God, are we in now? And Paul wants them to know that God has qualified you. You are qualified because God did so on your behalf. I take great encouragement from this. I have a lot of qualms about not being qualified for much of anything. (laughs) I have a very um, useless college degree and not a lot of work history, ministry history, But I don't know. I'm just not, I don't have like, I don't have any letters behind my name or I don't have any master's degrees or anything beyond a four. I have a four-year degree that is useless. (laughs) And I often feel unqualified for most everything. And it's so beautiful to read in the scriptures that the Father has qualified me. Like, for example, speaking on this podcast, I don't have any 
uh, masters of theology or masters of divinity or anything like that. I read a lot and I study the Bible and I love God. That's that's it. <laughs> I don't have any letters to put behind my name. And so there's definitely always a voice in my head like, you're not qualified to do this. Who are you to think that you can do this? Um, but this scripture is so dear to my heart that the Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Verses 13 and 14 are where we're going to wrap it up for tonight. They are so awesome. He tells us what God has done, what the Father has done for us. For he has rescued us out of the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He has rescued us out of the dominion of darkness. And most translations say, and he has transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. I love the use of the word transferred in most translations there. He rescued us out of the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. The reason I love that is because when you move, to a new home, to a new address. You transfer your mail because you don't live in the old place anymore. If you, if somebody sends mail to that old place, it will return to the sender and it will say address not known. The mail has to be forwarded to their new address because they have moved. Their residence is no longer in the old place. They don't belong there anymore. They have been transferred. We have been transferred. The dominion of darkness is no longer our address. We don't belong there anymore. We are not there. Nobody can find us there. We are transferred into the kingdom of the Son of God. That is our address. That is where we live. That is where we reside. And he's qualified us to be there. You are qualified to be in the kingdom of the Son of God because God qualified you. And you will inherit that kingdom of light forever and ever because he qualified you to do so. I would like you to say out loud, I am qualified. He has rescued me. He has transferred me. I am not a part of the dominion of darkness. I am part of the kingdom of light forever and ever. Amen and amen. All right. I love Colossians. We are going to have such a wonderful time growing together, studying together about what God has done for us through Jesus Christ as we go through Colossians. I hope you join me again. I will talk to you again soon. Have a good night.